All right, folks, welcome to the runningrestaurants.com podcast, where we bring you the tips, tools, and techniques you need to know to make your restaurant more profitable and successful. I'm your host, Jamie Oikel, and today we've got a great episode for you with Travis Talbot, who's the principal and lead strategist of Hospitality Arts. Welcome, Travis. I am looking forward to our talk. How are you, man? Welcome. Uh, thanks for having me on, Jamie. appreciate it. Yeah, this is going to go in some different directions, right? We can go in any number of ways, and I'm willing to go wherever it takes us based on your your varied past. But let's start with this, right? Your header on LinkedIn says, uh, hospitality polymath, master planning, master planning strategist, concept creator, exper experiential designer, performance coach, and trend analyst. There's yes. a lot there. Tell me. Tell me more. What's going on? Well, you know, you really could just put all that under one header and just say restaurateur, because I think mm -hmm. most restaurateurs are pretty much doing all of those things. Um, but when you're on LinkedIn, you got to you got to be a little bit braggadocious, so to speak, right, to stand out. But um, I guess for me, the number one thing that I would put forward is, is saying what I bring to the table and what we offer our clients is strategy. Mm -hmm. Right. So um, and then being a polymath. One of my claims to fame and where I beat out some of our colleagues and where I tend to beat out the bigger agencies is I like to say there isn't a single role in hospitality that I haven't played at some point in time other than accountant. And I wish I would have actually learned more about accounting, um, you know, based on some of my business failures along the way. <laughs> but uh, yeah, from being, you know, starting in the industry at the age of nine, working for my mom in a diner, washing dishes, all the way through every single role that's been available from being a bouncer in university to front of house manager to bartending to dj to culinary in the back of the house um because it said pretty much done it all so that's where i like to use the term you know polymath um and it's good because it allows me to whenever i'm looking at a project or i'm looking to support someone it allows me to look at it from quite a few angles and perspectives rather than just saying hey i'm a specialist in culinary or i'm a specialist in master yeah. planning and concept development so yeah and wow. that, sorry go ahead. i appreciate that i don't want to ignore the we talked briefly before we started record about the b i don't want to ignore the b on the hat we got the boston red sox yeah, go, ahead yeah. and, go ahead and lift up little, 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 little celtics bit. that's got the celtics good uh this i don't know when this will air but it's game six tonight of the the the, uh, the finals uh we'll see if they can pull it off and get to game seven it's been been exciting there so i know you've been all around i think we're going to get to that so I, I asked him why he's a boston fan but but uh, you've been all around and we'll, we'll get to that in your travels and uh, sure. uh so all right so another another thing and then we're just kind of we'll kind of ad lib it i saw this on your uh, something that came through. I read this somewhere where it says your formula to success is a combination of sociology, behavioral economics, EQ and HQ, scar tissue, and a few breathtaking bottles of Cabernet. Yes. That's quite a, quite, quite a recipe there. Let me put that up. <laughs> Let me put that up on the screen. What do you got? Well, you know, that's, um, it's actually, that wasn't something that came um, up to you know, mind and it wasn't a PR tagline that, you know, our publicist or our PR team or our marketing put together. That was really just sitting around one day with my brother, who's also a chef and we worked together and a few other guys on our team and basically said like, this is what, it, what we've evolved into. Like we're now looking at hospitality, not as branding only, not as just food and beverage offerings. And then we looked at the projects that we really pulled off well and what we really found that the operator was successful. And we kind of pulled them and said, 
what was it that we brought to the table or what was it in the conversation that you felt um, where we were able to contribute? And it kind of these things all started to come up along the way. So scar tissue is just straightforward, putting your time in the years we've invested, all the mistakes that I've made along the way, um, building up a little, you know, some calluses where when we're working with clients, I always tell them, I go, there's nothing you're going to say. There's nothing you're going to ask me to redo uh, over multiple times. You're never going to offend me. There's no language you can throw out and you can never be, you know, we've all worked for some pretty hard characters as I'll put it. Um, there's nothing that's going to, you know, that's going to shake me. I've got the scar tissue. Um, and then, but in addition to that, we've also got some emotional intelligence. We can read the room. We're in tune with what's going on with today's workforce. Um, we have hospitality quotient, which is the HQ saying like, listen, I, I say to operators all the time, like what business do you think you're in? And we always get mm -hmm. such a spectrum of replies, but really I always say to them, I'm like, listen, you're in the hospitality business and you need to have some hospitality intelligence. And then we help them articulate and define that for what it means to them, to their resort, to their brand and so forth. And then usually the best conversations and the most success we have with clients, it's never the capabilities deck. It's never the Q and A. It's always sitting down with, you know, a good bottle of wine or, or multiple bottles of wine, a box of wine, as my buddy Chuck says. Mm -hmm. And then that's where, you know, like you see, you used to hear the, the analogy that the best deals are made on the golf course well for us the best insights or the best conversations or the best takeaways we can get from restaurant operators is literally sitting down in the restaurant having a meal and you know loosening up the um or, or lowering the defenses by having a few glasses of wine so that that became our model right is we're gonna have thick skin we're definitely all about hospitality and what that means we're definitely going to talk about having emotional intelligence because if you're not I don't know how you're operating these days without that with that variable in your in your equation, um, and then it's it, it all goes from there, right? Yeah, we'll talk about uh, talk about a typical project then, or maybe something you're working on now, or if you can't talk about it yet, talk about a recent typical project. What are some of the things you guys do? Because I, I I've read the read the background and stuff all over the scope, so maybe you can talk more about well, it. Well, we're definitely 360, with the exception of accounting. We don't do performers. We'll help you in, in, in learning about the numbers, and we can definitely read the P and L and pull out and identify some some wins and some losses and some opportunities. But our, uh, our kind of main, our main focus right now is we're niche in the ski resort industry. Hmm. And the reason we've ended up there after doing Moz and Paws and Chains and multi-unit, multi-concepts and working with celebrity chefs is there's a real paradigm shift happening in the resort world. Um, and we call it the Vegas paradigm. Do you remember when Vegas, it, all it was, was debauchery, slot machines and booze? And yeah. that was their whole model. And then they started losing audience and they're like, hey, we have to reinvent ourselves and we need to make some more offerings to be appealing to a broader audience. Then they went the whole Disney route and then they went too far. But then all of a sudden they said, listen, we need to have entertainment other than just slot machines and, you know, and the Elvis tribute show. And they started to focus on food. So it became like the third, third leg of the stool. So with ski resorts, traditionally speaking, their whole model has been the snow, the mountain, the ski lifts. And then eventually they started realizing that part of the customer customer, part of the customer journey and part of the guest mapping was food. So you could have the best resort. You could have all the amenities in terms of lifts and firepower in terms of getting people from the bottom to the top, um, the best groom runs, the best conditions. And then when people get off the hill for something to eat and all they're getting offered is a hot dog and gas station food, it was it was destroying their brand or diluting the brand. 
So we saw that as an opportunity. And so for the last six years now, seven years, we've been focused primarily in ski resorts. And mm-hmm. when we do what we do there is like master planning. What should the whole resort F&B landscape look like? How many pizza places should they have versus do they need a fine dining operation? Um, what kind of menu offerings? Are they trying to be all things to all people all the time? Do they have any niche offerings, any hooks? And then how are they uh, performing in terms of are they being sustainable? Are they being environmentally sound? How are they sourcing their products? Um, and then the resorts, like everybody else, but more so in destination resorts, they're they're so short on manpower. Like their org charts are never going to get filled out ever again. So we help them with efficiencies, ergonomics, back of house design, recommendations on equipment, and then streamlining menus and and working through the mechanics. So. Um, so that's that's where we do most of our work and we, we put that all under the header of master planning yeah. but that could be everything from coming up with new concepts repositioning concepts a lot of menu work a lot of menu engineering a lot of menu design um and that's where back to one of our things but earlier is what um behavioral economics and psychology and sociology is like why are we doing this menu? Why are we presenting this off- offering? How does it resonate with the guests? Is it something that you guys are just slapping on the menu because the food and beverage director likes it? Or is it something that resonates with that customer that's coming from Denver, right? Or is it something that resonates with that customer that's flying in from Montana? So we really put a lot of thought into how the guest is thinking and how um, a lot of these stimulus, like everything along that guest mapping journey, mm-hmm. how it all, how all those stimulus resonate and create emotional value with the guest, right? Yeah, good stuff. And I wrote down a couple notes there. And I actually, I've got about seven bullets I could, I could ping back <laughs> to just from what you wrote. But the first one I want to go back to is you, the, the word hooks, because we use that sometimes in some of our other training and some of our other talks. And I like, I like restaurants and my, my buddy, Roger, who I do a lot of interview with, he always says a restaurant can't have enough hooks, you know, things that pull you in, things that people talk about. How, how do you think about hooks? I think they're mandatory. I think that every restaurant, like when we were growing up, there was always the Italian restaurant, the Asian restaurant, and the Greek restaurant. And they were usually mom, pa, and they were usually immigrants, but they always had something they offered that was, hey, we have to go to Billy T's on Tuesday night because it's Peking duck night and it takes two days to prepare the Peking duck. Oh, you got to have the Greek souvlaki at this place. He marinates it for three days. Um, now, nowadays, I think a lot of people, it's the same thing, but they refer to it as the Instagrammable dish or the Instagrammable offering. For me, that's just the hook. And the hook is, why are we going to your restaurant over all the restaurants around you? And what's that one compelling dish that is either just over the top or is something that you have all the passion and pride? Like it's your grandmother's recipe handed down from you know two to three generations. And I think that not enough restaurants, everyone's doing trends, but no one's actually... I'm investing in those hooks saying we want to be known for this. You know, I look in, you know, speaking of Boston, I look at Mike's Pastry on Hanover Street. You can get a cannoli in every second restaurant in, in Boston, but people line up for hours for Mike's and that's their hook. And it's how they make their cannolis, the size of the cannoli, how they box it and twine it. So I think that almost every restaurant should have that compelling dish or that compelling food and beverage offering that they've crafted, they've mastered, and it's it's beyond, you know, it's better than everybody else around them, and they're known for it, and they should market the shit out of it, right? Yeah, well, that's what I was just going to say. Like, yeah, you could have it, but like, what? how do you, you got to talk about it. It has to be front and center, and it's got to be the thing that people go, 
well, you just mentioned this Mike's place. Like, you got to go to Mike's. Why do I got to go there? And then the person just lights up. And if they're doing that, like that just, that's the marketing that you want. Yes. When, and, when you turn a guest into an ambassador, you know, you've done your execution on that product well, and then you've marketed it well. You've told a good story and people not are, are not only buying into the story, they're sharing it. Right. Yeah. And, and so let's, let's stay in the marketing world for a little bit, differentiation, branding, you know, marketing, et cetera. And I, I guess you could wrap it around resorts for sure. Um, and so forth, but there's, a, there's so much there in that, in that marketing world and you can kind of take it wherever you want, whether it's the branding piece, just marketing, uh, social, yep. anything, anything you want. What do you think? You know where I think branding starts? And that was, I was taught to me early on when I was working in Vancouver for them, this guy named Roger Gibson, he was one of my early mentors. And he was like, he had a place that was called Richards on Richards. It was referred to as Dicks on Dicks. It was the Studio 54 of Canada. And I got a really good opportunity in working with him. And he was all about marketing. And his first, his line for everything is marketing starts in-house. Mm -hmm. Your first, your first guest and your first customer and your most valued guest and re with repeat visitation is your staff. And I think that that has been lost. And, you know, when, you, when it comes to COVID, everyone's talking about the great reset, the great, um, what are they called? The great attrition, the great resignation, yeah. all these terms. I mean, really, I look at that and I'm like, you're a shitty operator. You didn't treat your people well, <laughs> right? If you're, losing exactly right. People, if you're losing people by the dozens and you're not getting people, there's be some people lined up at your door. You are a bad marketer in terms of how you're communicating your brand and how you're uh, massaging your culture. And I think culture is a marketing vehicle as well. And so, um, you know, I look at, I look at, I'm in, I'm in Alberta right now. And there's a famous chain here called Earl's, which is also associated with the Cactus Club, which is also associated with mm -hmm. um, Joey's. They've never, ever been short on staff in the 30 years that I've known them. And my brother worked with them. And, you know, one degree of Kevin Bacon, we all know somebody who's come through their organization. They just don't are never hurting. They're never hurting for staff. They're always hiring, but you never hear them like you never see the you know help wanted now, and you never see the desperate Indeed ads and stuff like that. So I think that that is good marketing: is treat your people well, have a phenomenal culture, and they will do the marketing for you, right? It's 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 actually it's a very good point, and I finally got the episode out today. And of course, again, this is going to be when when it comes out. But I got an episode out today that went live. It's about uh, people first culture. Um, uh, Michelle Falcone up in up in Toronto yeah. at his place um, believes in culture. Has had zero turnover in his place in like six months, and just like if you treat your people right they don't want to leave. And then everything you just talked about is so accurate. Like if you find yourself desperate for people, it means you're doing something wrong because yes. you're not attracting people. They don't want to stay with you. And that's absolutely, yeah, you should, you know, just uh, where I don't have a mirror in front of me, but flip the mirror. It's like, you're doing something wrong. Yeah. Right. I mean, that's what's, that's the case. Well, and, and we go into, and we know we're very careful with our language because nobody wants to come in and have you just beat them up. Those are shitty consultants. It's easy to walk in and tell everybody what they're doing wrong. But one of the things we say or we ask is, hey, listen, are you running a business of hostility or a business of hospitality? Yeah. Right. And, and so like, we're like, seriously, like, what is, what's your policies on scheduling? What's your policies on time off? What's your policies on sick leave? What's your, like, one of the reasons I got into hospitality, you know, and, and early on was a, it was cash in hand. Uh, mm. B was, I wasn't a very bright kid. So it was one of those jobs you could get that you didn't have to have, you know, a whole lot of education or somebody would educate you. And then three, it was that flexibility and schedule. I could go to school. I could pursue my rodeo career, which was a disaster. I could pursue... <laughs> 
you could do, you could, and all the people I worked with, I remember working with PhDs. I remember working with auto mechanics. I remember working with guys getting their pilots, pilots, pilots licenses. And I worked with single moms and single dads. Like it was, it was all about the flexibility. And that to me was the first step in hospitality was look out for your people, understand their lifestyles and, and work around it. And um, you just don't see that at often anymore where it's just you work this i need you then you're going to put in this 20 hour day i don't care if you have a kid at home that's hungry and you're paying for babysitting it just became a very hostile environment and unfortunately during covid those are some of the things that you know everybody focused on um but i think that they're up like you know there's another operation um out of canada it's nationwide and i believe now they're in the states and they're called the, it's called the keg and they've been in business now for, I think they're coming on 50 years. And that is their marketing shtick. Everything that they market, in addition to like, hey, it's Crab Fest or Lobster Fest, or hey, come in for Mother's Day and it's, you know, we're going to have this feature is, I would say that their ratio or their formula of marketing pieces. So for every three times they talk about their, you know, their food and their steaks, two times they talk about their staff and what a great place it is to work, mm. you know? So they've really got the formula balanced out. Whereas the majority of operators that we have an opportunity to work with that doesn't even like they'll do, they'll do the sprints when they are completely at a deficit of manpower or they'll sneak it in somewhere once in a while while they'll show the staff party. But that to me is that should be for every, every post or every asset or every marketing initiative you put together, this the one right next to it, or at least one more down the line should be about your people, your culture, and what a great place it is to work. Right. So the hospitality yeah. quotient, right? Yeah. I don't see, I don't see enough of that. It's, it's the, it's the me, me, it's a, it's food, food, it's, it's food, porn. It's, food ba it's, bad, it's bad food porn for one. Mm. And like I'm most people, I'm like, take that off. Like that's a terrible photo of that dish. Like you're not selling that to anybody. And yeah, I got it. You posted about the Super Bowl 21 times, your audience got it, but where's the stuff about the staff having fun, staff engaging mm. customers, um, the, the backgrounds on staff, having the staff, post stuff like it's just not done enough in my opinion and that's that to me is a lost opportunity in terms of marketing yeah big missed opportunity i, I agree so just take take that one nugget and, and do something uh this week with your staff pick Absolutely. somebody out feature yeah. them instagram this do a video do something have fun with it uh let's go let's go a little bit more on the business side uh you use the the keyword menu engineering menu planning a little while ago yep Big, big question as, as inventory, as prices are increasing and inventory problems are all over the place, shrinking the menu, finding profitable yes. items, a big, big deal. How do you, how do you think about it? With well, I, I, once again, I think it's a missed opportunity and it's something I remember. Do you remember, do you remember back when you were running a restaurant, you had to do the little square where the, Hey, these are our dogs. Yeah. These are our mm -hmm. resources. These are, you know, our enigmas and th these ones have to go. I don't see that anywhere. I don't even see anyone teaching that anymore. Um, and I used to say, you know, you know, and I was playing like the ego hotshot consultant back in my early days. I was like, give me your sales mix. Um, and I don't, I don't even have to see your customers and I'll know who they are and I'll know mm -hmm. what they're eating mm -hmm. and I know what they like and they don't like. And then I can engineer it. So I call bullshit when I hear like, yeah, there's always been logistical problems. There's always been price increases. There's always been inflation. That's when you got to get in with your team. And I say a team, meaning the chef, his sous chef, the front of house manager, 
whoever one of your strongest servers is, um, hopefully the owner. And then everybody's got to sit in a room and they need to dissect that menu and then talk about engineering it. Like, hey, where can we go up in prices? What products should we be swapping out? Like, for instance, chicken fingers went through the roof or chicken wings, sorry, went yeah. through the roof during COVID. And I'm like, OK, well, there's still chicken thighs and there's things we can do with thighs and they're dirt cheap. Right. So we can do popcorn chicken. We can do shredded chicken and we can do like there's all these things. And so I, I think it's a bit of a bullshit excuse when someone says, hey, prices are going up, we're getting murdered. It's like, well, then sit down and engineer your menu, find out. And then it doesn't actually have to be food. So if your food prices and your food cost of goods on food go up and there's nowhere where you can tweak, let's say you've hit your ceiling on pricing, um, everything you've got in the menu sells, which I don't buy that. Um, but let's just say that's, that was the argument. It's like, okay, well, then let's move into the beverage category, right? Because I do believe there's a threshold with food for what you can charge. Uh, one being your market competitors, two being um, that food's emotional and people get emotional about what they pay for food. But then you slide over into the beverage category. If you charge 25 cents more for a Bud Light, mm. no one, no one's losing their shit, right? Um, if you get into your high-end wines and stuff and you're charging $10 more for you know a super cab of some sort, no, the person that can afford those and buy those is not losing their mind that you went up for ten dollars on those so it has to be engineered and it has to be thought out and it needs to be a conversation and to your point is streamlining everyone doesn't need the applebee's menu anymore you don't need 190 items to be a successful operator to appeal to a large audience you need to do a few things really well and then promote them have them you know have those be your hooks promote them well execute mm -hmm. them well and then romance them to your guests right yeah, I see a huge menu and I get scared. Like, how are they? How, how are oh, they doing man. this? Right? Like, it's a, it's like it's a nightmare. Anytime it's I get a menu and it's full of photos, I'm like, let's get out of here, <laughs> right? It's like, yeah. I, you know, it's like I look at the Waffle House and I look at IHOP and I look at Applebee's and all those things. And it's like, listen, this is all right from the truck to the freezer to the fryer or to the microwave, right? Yeah. Um, it's just there's nothing Subway fresh on that on that menu, so to speak, right? Uh, let's go to uh, a couple, a couple, if I just throw a couple words at you, like sure. I just want to get your quick take on things. Um, uh, we talked about the profit part. Let, let's, let's talk about the, the, the end planning, right? Cause you've probably been part part of it on both sides. Exit planning. When you think about exit planning, what does a restaurant need to do to get ready to get out when they're ready to move on? Well, I'll, I'll do you one up on that is where's the plan period. Mm. Like where's the starting plan? What's the brand? What's the yeah. identity? What's Wait, the don't, don't hit them too hard. Don't hit them too hard. <laughs> Uh, you know, we, we very rarely talk exit strategies because we find that most operators, they feel that that's a defeatist conversation. It's like, oh, you're already ruling us out. I'm like, no, no, no. I'm hoping that you get to such a point mm -hmm. that you can flip this and you're going to made, have made some significant ROI. And plus, you don't want to do this forever. Like how many people okay. like, like how many people want to do 25 years behind the line with their knees given out, their back given out, missing Christmases, missing all of the, you know, the holidays and so forth. So um, I would love to have exit strategy conversations, but we just find that that's a taboo kind of topic. But, and and as, as consultants and coaches, our job is to make them successful, right? Is to um, breathe life back into a failing brand, to give them ideas for some hot new concepts and brands, to give them what we call legacy venues, especially in the ski resort is what can we create? Mm -hmm. What brand can we develop that's got a 25 to 35 year shelf life? And so we, we really focus on that side of it. The exit strategy, 
it just doesn't come into the conversation. And, and, and honestly, the clients just don't want to talk about it. It's taboo, right? Yeah. Well, I would encourage folks and just kind of how you started, how you started that, that part of the conversation is the planning part and, and the systems in place and everything that you do, you need to have in place. Cause if you, if you were to say, I want to sell right now today, well, then you, you would walk in and say, sell what? Like yeah. you're not ready to sell. You can't be, let's put all the things in place. And now you can go to someone and say, this is working. You can work in it. You cannot work in it, but it's profitable. So you should buy it for X, Y, Z. And if, if you can't do those things, you, you'll never, you'll never be able to leave the business. Jamie, I wish we had more of those conversations because it's definitely yeah. long-term thinking. Um, but we struggle. We normally we go in and say, hey, show us your plan. And it's the back of a cocktail napkin or it's someone going, oh, it's all up here. And I'm like, well, that's not translating, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. And, and I go, if, if you can't articulate it, if you can't write it down, if your staff can't recite it, no one's executing it, right? And we just don't see it. We just don't like with the master planning part of my job title, especially in the ski resorts, they embrace it is they want a one-year vision, a five-year vision, a 15-year vision. How does it evolve? How does it phase? Um, what falls off at certain stages? Um, and then and complete articulation. This burger joint is this type of offering and it's this type of vibe. And actually, I was looking through, um, reading through a bunch of your, um, you're a very prolific writer, by the way, I is looking through some of your writings. And one of the ones I, I clued into right away was the, um, the music, right? Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. What is your, what's your music and how does it align with your brand and what kind of vibe are you creating for your audience, right? So um, those are the kind of conversations where we feel we can help operators and say, right. like, why are we listening to, don't get me wrong, I'm a hardcore ACDC fan, but why are we listening to it at brunch in a, <laughs> in, in a, in a four-star hotel, right? Yeah. I don't get it, which just means whatever kids plug in his iPhone, iPhone first got to you know, control the music. But um, that's funny. Yeah. Let's, uh, yeah, the, mu the music <laughs> stuff was good. That's a good episode if you, if you if you, if you haven't seen that yet, but that that's pins me to kind of technology in general, which has changed so much. And I end up interviewing a lot of tech folks on, on this did one great, a great one yesterday as well. Uh, that'll come out soon. Um, it's changed so much and it's let people save money and do things that are fancier, whether it's just capturing data, doing stuff in the back end and the front end. Uh, marketing stuff. How do you think about technology? How are you integrating into some of your projects? Well, we used to say that uh, the restaurants and hospitality are always the first to be last when it oh, came yeah. to when it came to technology. It was like, I'm not buying that. We don't need it. We, we know we're a people business. We serve food and beverage. And I'm like, yeah, but there's better ways to do it. And then with COVID, you could either look at COVID as and call it the COVID crisis. You know, obviously it did a lot of damage and ruined a lot of businesses. Um, but we also say, hey, there's the COVID catalyst because because of COVID, we saw so much technology all of a sudden come into the marketplace. Mm -hmm. We actually started to see operators, regardless of whether they were technology savvy or technology fearful, where they were like, okay, what, do we, what pieces do we need? Is it the QR code? Is it the better on an online ordering? Do we need to clean up our social? Can you link from our social to our website? So to me, technology is finally getting into the, the the model and it's necessary um and one of the places that we we often comment to our clients is hey you're never going to fill that that org chart once again and especially in the back of the house there's such a fear among the general population about working in the back of the house they all think that they're all going to be working for gordon ramsay and get clogs thrown at them all day long and berated and right. don't get me wrong those guys are out there i've worked for a few of them but um is 
you got to have better technology in the kitchen. You got to have like, um, like I look at the rationale ovens, the combi ovens, it saves a whole, you can save two or three bodies by having one of those and properly programming it and act properly using it. Um, even dishwashers, having the dishwashers that have the right alarms on them. So they're monitoring chemicals. So you're not just burning through chemicals all shift because there's one glass rotating around constantly. Um, you know, infrared ovens for consistency, the impinger ovens, like, uh, there's, and like, even in something as simple as you see it now uh, more and more is people coming to your table and doing the ordering through the iPad. Mm-hmm. It may lose some personality, as some people say, but at least the order is going in correct and it's firing in the back correct. So you have less mishaps and less you know comps and stuff. Um, I, I think technology, I, I'm hoping to see more and more. I know I'm not to the stage yet where I want my food delivered by a robot unless I'm in, right. Right. you know, I'm in Japan or something like that. And that's part of the shtick. But it's definitely, you know, better better POS systems, man, better ways to make a payment. Like I, I know one of the challenges that are in resort worlds is everybody goes through, you know, they call it the scramble area or the cafeteria. They get their food at different stations and they go to pay. And then by the time they've gone through the nightmare of paying it, their food's cold. Right. And so that technology where you can do Apple pay, where you can swipe your phone, where you can go into the grab and goes or the micro markets and just walk out and it's already charged your phone, um, being able to pay through multiple mediums. So can I pay through debit? Can I pay through Visa? Can I pay through cash? Can do you have, a, you know, do you have an ATM machine? Like all those things. That's all technology needs to be a whole ecosystem that needs to be considered now, in my opinion. Yeah, it does. And I'm glad folks, they were pushed, they were pushed, shoved with COVID like you talked about it, but it did, it did probably speed things up two or three years and hopefully they don't lose that. And you can't lose it because there's percentage points in your business that there's no way to capture unless it is with technology and, and, and therefore you, you have to do it. Well, and, and technology takes out one of the things that we always try to say to our clients is you got to remove the friction points. If you want a good guest experience and if you want to have a you know, solid throughput and have a higher guest check average because you put more people through or, you you know, if you want to improve that top line, you got to take out all the friction points. you got to make mm-hmm. it easy mm-hmm. for your guests to enjoy the experience. And the easiest way to lose them is at the end like for payment. I just want to pay. I just want to pay and get the hell out of here. Take right? my money. Like, take my money. Take my money. And, and, and by the way, I don't care how good the meal was. Now I'm pissed, right? Because now I'm searching for my server who's, you know, they once they, they drop the check, they think the whole, you know, service procedures are over. Yeah. Um, or, hey, my credit card didn't work because it got demagnetized. I see this all the time in hotels. Um, so do you have a debit machine or do you have an ATM machine? It's like, yeah, I know we're getting away from cash, but what does it cost you to keep that ATM machine and have it pump out? And like, I was just in Jamaica. I paid $7 per transaction. I didn't care. I just knew that it would be easier to pay cash than it would be to go through the whole exercise mm. where they couldn't figure out the square, where they couldn't, you know, it was like, oh, it's not syncing with the POS, but um, yeah, it's just a nightmare. But I, w- yeah. I would say the number oh, one okay. piece of technology that's come in that people should be embracing is payment, mm-hmm. right? Figure, yeah. Figuring out multiple yeah. ways to allow the customer yeah. to pay. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I just echo that as a customer. Like, please do it, do it, do it, do it, do it. Yes. Uh, let's, let's, we'll kind of finish with some personal stuff. I read this somewhere and it could be true, could be not true. I don't know, but it said, <laughs> it said you're doing something with Off-Broadway. Is that is that a thing? Yeah, so I met a journalist. Uh, he worked for the Miami Herald and for the Boston Globe. And uh, we were doing a project together. So I don't know if you remember the, um, the Boston Marathon bombing. Um, so when that happened, 
Um, I was lucky enough to team up with some celebrity chefs, Ming Tsai and Ken Oranger, among a bunch of others. And in 16 days, we took over Fenway, got together 100 of the top chefs in the city, wow. and we fed 5,000 people and raised just shy of a million dollars. And it was all 100% passed through to the one fund. Um, but when I was working with that journalist who was covering the story, you know, of course, of course, we had a couple glasses of wine along the way and, you know, some conversations. And he's like, I don't believe you. I don't believe any of your story. All your stories are too far-fetched. He's like, you're Anthony Bourdain 2.0 on steroids. And so he did all of his fact checking and then I uh, came back and he's like, hey, I want to co-author a book with you. But at the time he was also working with an off-Broadway producer and he's like, I want to do your version of the Mike Tyson stand-up one-man show, just telling your story. So we've been working on that for a couple of years and obviously huh. he's, he's doing it for free, but, uh, and also he's got to fact check everything. So that takes time, but uh, yeah, it's, it's been a fun process that and, and working on this, this memoirs. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, writing a book and, and so forth. And I, yeah, maybe we'll, we'll bring you back for another episode. Cause I do have a quote on here that says, crazy misadventures and multiple near-death experiences so that sounds like something we'll come back to that was that those are my years in the nightlife in nightclubs yeah <laughs> right yeah getting yeah. shot at and bottled and maced and uh, run yeah. over by cars and yeah it was a good time oh yeah that's uh that's not, that sounds about right and yeah jimmy the one thing we won't do is we'll take on almost any project i will never ever work with a nightclub again ever again yeah oh geez yeah. okay <laughs> do not do not call do not text do not yes, do yeah. not phone we will not accept that call all right well this has been good stuff we covered we covered a lot in kind of a fun way um send them anywhere you want whether it's to the website a project anything you got socials send them yeah hospitalityarts.group is uh, is the um kind of the brand that we're pushing right now and where we're doing most of our work and like i said spe uh, specifically in ski resorts and then if you uh just google travis t-bone talbot um you'll find that's my handle on pretty much all the social uh, networks and uh yeah and then you know at the end of the month we'll have a few more offerings to talk about we're um, getting into eco intelligence mm -hmm. um and once again mostly working in resort environments helping operators be a little bit more responsible with their stewardship and being in environmentally friendly uh, in their food and beverage practices and then we're going to be launching another one um, called apec fox which is just one-to-one -one coaching so Oh, okay. Well, listen, I'd be remiss if I didn't get the quick story on T-Bone. What is it? Where's the nickname? So, so I've had many nicknames depending on where I've lived and where I've worked, but T-Bone was my grandfather who was a little bit abusive. I'm going to say, <laughs> but he, he was a leathery old Clint Eastwood style of cowboy. And we used to, I used to follow him around in the summers, you know, chasing the rodeos. He was a big rodeo star. And then one day we were sitting around the campfire and we we're having T-Bone steaks and I had really bad teeth at the time. And he goes, I bet that kid can eat a T-Bone off both sides at the same time and all of a sudden everybody picked up on it and oh, laughed and from the age of like 11 on i was t-bone in, in all the family circles and stuff so it stuck right yeah but listen it's good you got you got the t you got, you got it just fits travis t-bone i like it i like it so there you go that's the story behind that thanks travis all right well good stuff uh folks that was travis talbot of hospitality arts you can find them on the web at hospitalityarts.group so not yes. com or anything like that hospitality arts dot group um you can also google them really easy to find uh for more great restaurant marketing operations service people tech tips stay tuned to us here at runningrestaurants.com we'll see you next time thanks travis right on jimmy appreciate the time thank you